lesson is from 1 Peter, beginning in the first chapter, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you've had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, I want to say I'm grateful for this opportunity to be with you and to serve in this capacity, especially on this holiday weekend as we celebrate our secular freedom, but also our religious freedom as we have so graciously and bountifully especially in our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to share a bit of that preciousness of our faith to you and a little bit of its its centrality and as well as its vitality and the vitality and centrality of faith. I know you all heard many sermons about faith and I don't want to bore you with another one. For goodness sake, it's the namesake of, of our church. It's the clarion call of the Reformation. But we have freedom in Christ because of our faith. And also, it has a tremendous amount of personal significance for me as an individual and as a family. Um, Although I was uh, baptized, confirmed, married in the Lutheran Church, circumstances beyond our control for the most part, I was away from the Lutheran Church for almost 45 years. So I'm very grateful to be back in this capacity once again. Martin Luther, our founder, who asked us not to call ourselves by his name, of course we do, (laughs) we had to as a way of distinguishing ourselves from the others. We were evangelicals at first, did you know that? Not Lutherans. It's really interesting. We were the original evangelicals. Now we're no longer apparently anymore, but we hope we're still very, very evangelical in our call and our service. But regarding faith... Luther wrote in his little pamphlet on the freedom of the Christian, by the wedding ring of faith, a person shares in the sins, death, and pains of hell and makes them his own. It's still very beautiful imagery, the permanence and significance of the wedding ring and that symbol that it illustrates regarding our faith that he so eloquently expressed. A person that you may not be quite as familiar with, a fellow named Martin Chemnitz, 
He was, he's often known as the second Luther, and many scholars believe that without his uh, in-depth and much more organized and systematic theology, the Reformation would not have gathered the steam that it did and the depth that it developed later on. So he's called the second Luther. And his quote regarding faith is that faith accepts, embraces, and possesses Christ as the end, that is, the fulfillment or the goal of law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Outstanding quote. More recently, a fellow named Gerhard Ferde, good German theologian, it was a wonderful writer, wonderful personality, a human being, died not too many years ago after doing a great deal of service for the Lutheran Church in his writing and his preaching and his theology said regarding faith, and instead of demanding love, grace gives it, then faith receives it. He went on to say that faith is not about making a decision for Jesus. And last week, Pastor Bruce mentioned in his sermon something about decisional theology. So faith isn't about making a decision for Jesus as if somehow we were acquiring him. It's not something that we do. And Ferdy said it's, it's kind of as silly as telling young people that they have to fall in love. See, it just doesn't work. It, it's contradictory. That's going to happen the way it is. But there are a lot of challenges to our faith. We may take it very much for granted. But faith is not just some kind of abstract theological concept or debate that people talk about in different kind of ways. Historically, faith has been the determination about whether the early Christians were going to live or die. In our passage in 1 Peter, when he talks about that suffering and persecution that was going on, it was very real. A little pinch of incense to the emperor. What's the problem? You want your children, your family, your wives killed just because they don't want to say Caesar is Lord? Tertullian, who died uh, in 220 A.D., was one of the very prominent early church fathers, historians, theologians, said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So these challenges to our faith are all over the place. They're really ubiquitous, but, but they're often very subtle, and we don't know sometimes that they're really happening. They become part of our thinking, and, and sometimes we're not, really not aware that the erosion of our faith is actually taking place. And they change over time. Erosion, the Grand Canyon happens, but over many, many years. But still, it happens, doesn't it? So this morning, we want to raise our consciousness a little bit, become a little bit more aware of the challenges to our faith. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. If we use the analogy of a computer geek, it would say, listen, you've got to know about virus protection. You've got to know about identity theft. And then you actually have to do something about it. You can't just believe in the concept or say, well, yeah, that's true. I yeah. Well, you know, even the demons believe and shudder. James says that. They believe, and not only do they believe, they shudder. They know good and well it's true. 
But their faith doesn't do anything for them, does it? It's a belief that's empty. There are some theologically overt challenges to our faith. These are very common, and you've all heard them. Who are you to judge? You know, you, you guys and, and, and your hypocrisy, that's the problem with the church. You guys are making all these rules and saying what's right and wrong. You know what? We all believe in the same God, don't we? Oh, it doesn't matter if you worship anywhere. It doesn't matter if you go to church. It doesn't matter where you go to church. What's the deal? Why, why are you guys making such a big deal about it? It's legalism that's the problem. Rules that's the problem. Ah, oh, these are just different expressions of the way people think and the way people believe. You know, sin is just, oh, come on. What were you... We're not axe murderers. We're not terrorists. We're not, there's no evil among us. What's, what's your problem? Carl Menninger, the, foundation, the founder of the very famous uh, Menninger Clinic in Topeka, Kansas, this eminent medical doctor and psychiatrist, wrote a book called Whatever Happened to Sin? Very unusual for a person of his standing. And you know when he wrote that book? 45 years ago. Even then, the signs were on the horizon that sin, we just don't talk about it, especially in mental health circles. Did you know that it is against the principles of ethics for a professional counselor to bring up faith and God to a client? There are other overt challenges to our faith. Sometimes they're just physical problems, physical illness, physical death, disability, losses, lots of losses, aging, memory losses. I messed up this morning and had a mind glitch. Oops, I think I forgot something in the liturgy. Sight. I have a client I'm working with right now who is going to be blind within the year. And he's been a very successful businessman, and all of a sudden he's at a tremendous loss because he doesn't know what to do with his life, and it's turning everything upside down. It's not a happy time for him whatsoever. We lose strength. We lose endurance. There's other kinds of losses, just financial losses, job losses. The economy changes out from underneath us. Unfair practices. Get a younger worker. Reverse discrimination. There's emotional, psychological trauma. There's crime that happens. Suicide. Just, just self-doubt. A loss of worth because I can't work. I can't travel anymore. Family dysfunction. It's not turning out like I thought it was going to turn out. Sometimes there's just overt abuse. Divorce is traumatic. Retirement. And sometimes it's just as simple as being marginalized. Just kind of, kind of being ignored because you really don't fit in. You don't do anything overt necessarily, but you don't cuss like everybody else. You don't drink like everybody else. You try to maintain a Christian witness, even though it's low key. But nevertheless, you just, you're just kind of outside, looking in. There are more covert kind of challenges to our faith as well. They're not as easy to see, and they're harder to detect a little bit more under the surface. Synchronicity. 
Now, I asked uh, people in the other services, I was just curious as to how many people have actually heard this word. Go ahead and raise your hands. Have you heard this word? It's interesting. Not, not too many, but some. Wanda and I were down on a trip uh, visiting, I can't remember the name of the road, it's a loop, an Indian trail right down south somewhere near the hot springs. And we're out in the middle of nowhere, and there's a little tiny town that has one little, it's not a store, it's just kind of a place to go and visit, and they did have coffee. So I'm, on the, I'm looking on the counter, and there's some books, and there's hardly, hardly nothing else in this place. And there's these business cards with the woman's name on it, and it said, you're here because of synchronicity. And I'm going like, I think I'm here because we wanted to see what was on this road. <laughs> and, and so I, it was new to me. And, and so I started researching it a little bit. The actual definition is meaningful coincidence. Now that's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? <laughs> meaningful coincidence. Really what it refers to is this uh, new age kind of thing that says the energy of the universe is out there. And it's guiding and directing you, and so there's these things that seem to be coincidences in your life, but they're really not because they're just meaningful. And you need to find out what that meaning is in your life. It's really about the energy of the universe coming together in your life. This is the message that, that introduces people a lot of, to a lot of time to things that are paranormal and that, that kind of whole area uh, of life. It's great if you want to call this uh, God with a little G, but, you know, there isn't any such thing as providence, God's guidance in your life, the Holy Spirit working within you. Nah, it's the forces of the universe. And oh, by the way, they're not negative forces out there. They're always positive. But we ignore those negative things because if we acknowledge them, then we'd have a problem. We'd have to do something about them, wouldn't we? Other covert challenges to our faith. Humanism. Humanism. You are the best. And if you can just be the best and the army can get the best out of you, then that's the apex of life because you're the center of it all. And you have what it takes. And if we can just actualize your potential, then you're going to reach what you're designed to reach. Egocentricity. I have a particular family member whom I won't mention <clears throat> that is indeed uh, a child of this decade. The world revolves around her. She's had all she's wanted all of her life. She gets a free ride to college 100% and it's like it's owed to her. And if she wants it, she gets it. And that's just the way it is. Now, she tries to be a good person. She tries to not be uh, that way. But she just is. That's, that's what she does. It's egocentricity. Hey, McDonald's, it's a small thing, but have it your way. It's just the way it is now. And that's what's supposed to happen. That's normalcy, isn't it? Narcissism. Consumerism. We buy into this, literally, and we don't even know that we're doing it. You see the ads on TV, and the message is, if you buy this product, it's going to fix your problems. And it's down to almost everything you can think of it. 
hair coloring, hair whitener, tooth whitener, the right kind of toilet paper, you name it, it's all there. And, and that, it, it just, it, it, it soaks into us as something that we don't even know that winds up happening. How about drugs? There's a drug. You know, when I was growing up, the only drug you ever heard of was Bayer aspirin. <laughs> That's the only thing that was ever, ever advertised. Now it's a drug for everything. I can tell you in my field of work, it's all brain chemistry now. And if we just get the right combination of drugs in your system, you won't have the problem you're having. So you feel guilt about things? It's because your brain chemistry messed up. If you're unhappy and you're depressed, just because your loved one died, we can fix that with drugs. Now, of course, when they come into my office and they're taking some heavy-duty psychotropic drugs, can't communicate them with them because they're zoned out and they can't hear and can't receive, but nevertheless, they're not depressed and they're not unhappy. This is our culture. This This is what goes on around us. And it directly impacts our faith. This iconic picture of the fife and drum during the War for Our Independence and the Continental Congress that ensued is a reminder that freedom indeed is not free. And many of you are quite aware of that. If you're able to look at this more closely, you'll see the courage, but you'll also see the fear that's in the eye of these people, even the older men and the younger ones as well. Though faith is a gift, and it's more precious than anything you can imagine, we need to acknowledge our need for our faith and to accept the gift. Remember what Jesus said to the the Pharisees? The truth will set you free. You know what they did? They reacted to him. We're not in bondage to anybody. Oh, never mind the Egyptians, the captivity for all those years. Never mind the 400 years of the Babylonian captivity. Never mind the presence of the Roman armies and the government at the time. We're not, we're not, we're not captives. We're not in bondage to anybody. Jesus says, the truth sets you free. You'll be free indeed. Their thing was, we're not in, free. We're, we're not in bondage. Well, what, what are you talking about? Everything's fine. We don't have a problem. If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. If you don't have sin, you don't need rescue. Yeah, I believe I need virus protection, but who needs it? I'm not really going to do it. It's not going to happen to me. We don't incorporate our faith. It's not a reality then, is it? If it's just something that you sort of believe about, like the demons. You're not plugged in, and you're not connected You're not into the network that says this is a living, vibrant, active thing in your life. You see, we need to cultivate. We need to continue to feed and grow and nourish our faith. And this is why we use the word strengthen all the time. How much strength do I need? But it continues to erode from us slowly. So we need to keep in front of us this slow erosion that winds up happening and perhaps in much of our life. I want to give you an example, a real live person, an illustration of live and significant real faith in real life. I'll call this young woman Alice. She did not come from a disadvantaged family. In fact, 
She came from an upper class or upper middle class family, and both of her parents were either medical or legal professionals. Both had their doctorate degrees. Then one day in her early teens, violence ensued in her family. Abuse, adultery, divorce, shattered family, siblings alienated from one another, abandonment, financial cutoff, severe emotional, psychological, as well as physiological consequences. This young lady seriously could not put two sentences together. Constantly plagued by serious and debilitating digestive disorder. Seriously emaciated. Number of times hospitalized. Strongest medications just weren't helping. She persevered. Found her own funds for college. Much of the time. Going to classes with a feeding tube taped to her face. Down her nose. Down into her stomach. Attached to a machine to deliver liquid food to her stomach. A short while ago, this young lady graduated from law school, passed the bar on the first time around. She's now a practicing attorney at law, working as an associate in a local law firm. Brilliant writer and communicator. Been on the governor's council, worked at the roundhouse, and has received awards and recognition for professional writing. What's different here? This isn't everybody's success story. The only variable that I was able to come up with was that for this young lady, there was a persistent, unshakable faith that would not let go, even in the worst of times. Jesus' lordship was not just an idea. It wasn't just a belief. Faith was a reality that although everybody else abandoned her, Christ was not. Though Satan meant it for evil, God wanted to use it for good. Indeed, faith is more precious than gold. We are saved by grace through faith. God pursues us, desires us to be right with him. But we do have a sin problem. And we can't wash it away. We can't minimize it away. We can't ignore it. Look at all the broken relationships that's out there in every one of our families. He wants us to accept his lordship. He wants us to accept the gift of faith, exercise it, use it, keep it strong. In our first lesson today, you heard the story again about the persistent widow and the unjust judge. Even if things go well with us in our life and we're granted justice in some of the injustice that goes on in our life, Jesus is still going to ask us the question that he asked then, that haunting question, which is incredibly significant dramatic change to that story you wouldn't want to expect or you wouldn't expect. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. May the Lord grant us true freedom of the preciousness of faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.